As I said, today we will be opening to the first chapter of Acts. And it's interesting to me that Luke um, begins, basically, uh, in a very similar way as he did with the book of Luke. He's writing again to Theophilus. Again, as we talked about way back when, uh, some people have theorized that Theophilus um, was a group of people, but um, it seems to me as he's writing that he's writing to an, in, to an individual, and I've always subscribed to the teaching, um, the advice that I'm teaching the Bible, that if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Now, Jerry B. Jenkins supposed in his novels about the gospel writers that Theophilus was actually a slave owner who owned Luke as a slave and saw potential in him, so freed him from slavery and gave him um, money for his education so that he could become a physician. Now, I don't think there's anything about that in Scripture, but I think that was an intriguing way to think about it. But whatever the case may be, um, in Luke he says, most excellent Theophilus. So we know that his relationship with Theophilus was a close one, um, and so we know at least that much. So we're going to begin today and talk about um, the first 14 verses, and we see in these verses some final words and a promise. And the first thing I want to bring out is that Jesus is going to give some final encouragement. I don't know if you've ever done a study, but a lot of times it's intriguing to hear about someone's final words. And it makes us think about their life, and it makes us hopefully encourage us to continue to live our lives, and to leave a legacy of our own. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's final words when he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, and now there is laid up for me a crown of life, which the Lord has promised not to me only, but unto all those who loved his appearing. And so, Jesus, in this first chapter, it's kind of an overlap um, from the gospel because Jesus is preparing to go to heaven and to no longer be with the disciples in a physical way. And so we're, we're just going to plunge in here and hear about our first uh, point, which is Jesus gives some final encouragement. Luke begins in verse 1, the former treaties I... Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles which he had chosen to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, 
But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And we see here, I, I want to go back very briefly to Luke chapter 1 because I want to look at the, at the different, at the similarities between the way these stories begin. So I think it's a very good um, thing to remember. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 quickly. For so much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are surely believed among us, even as uh, they delivered them unto us, which were from the be- which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemeth good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things, from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of these things wherein thou hast been instructed. So the purpose of Luke's writing the Gospel of Luke, from way back when we began that study, was to know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. And then, um, in uh, Acts chapter 1, it says, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then, of course, verse 1 talking about everything he began both to do and to teach. So in both of those cases, Luke's goal here is detail. Attention to detail. Um, when you're doing certain things, like a, if you're a pilot and you're doing a pre-flight checklist, attention to detail is key. You miss one of the details, you're not going to have a safe flight. And Luke is saying to those that he's writing to, whether personally to Theophilus or to us today as we're reading, that attention the detail is important. The devil wants to call into question who Jesus is and the reason for his existence and for his sacrifice on the cross. But in verse 3, we see that he showed himself by many infallible proofs. He was seen for 40 days. This wasn't something where you could say it's a mirage. It was true. I remember um, watching the film The Case for Christ and Lee Strobel was investigating this and he talked to someone who wasn't even a believer and they said in order for 500 people to believe the exact same thing, that in itself was a miracle. With no alterations in their stories. Because, you see, if, if we were trying to hold up a, a lie, then we would all have different stories and people would be able to tell that they were holes. Chuck Colson said that the Watergate scandal showed proof of the resurrection because he and his buddies, who were implicated in Watergate, couldn't even keep their stories straight for a whole year after it happened. He said, I went to jail because... I couldn't keep my story straight for a whole year. And these men spent the rest of their lives proclaiming Jesus 
and Him crucified. Now, if that doesn't show you the truth of the Scriptures, I don't know what does. And we see, as Jesus goes, is getting ready to go, getting ready to leave them, He says this, um, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard of me. Now, I want to think about this in, in context of the fact that what is it that he told them three times he would do, at least three times, and they didn't believe him. He said, I'm going to be condemned by sinful men, I'm going to be crucified, and the third day I'm going to rise again. There's at least three times when that's recorded in Scripture, and yet when the women came to the disciples and said, the Lord is risen indeed, they said, it said that they did not believe him, but supposed them to be telling idle tales. So we're going to see a little bit of difference, a little bit of growth in the disciples, because he says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard of me. And I wonder if they were thinking at this point about the fact that they had not listened to him before. Because they will wait in Jerusalem. For John shall be baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now Jesus said that he was going to leave and send them another comforter. And he said, I'm leaving so that the Holy Spirit will come to you. And I'm sure at this point they still did not know all the implications of that. He didn't say this is how it's going to look. He didn't say it's going to you know, come upon you um, such and such a day in such and such a way. He just said wait for it and it will happen. You can believe me because what I've said has come true. And because of the things that he has said that have come true, we can believe that the things he said that will come true will come true someday. Because he doesn't tell lies. He tells the truth. And he stays consistent in his message. Okay, if we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. And this is Paul talking about the evidences of Christ's resurrection. So whoever gets there first, whatever gentleman gets there first, if you could stand and read that for us. Okay, I think that was supposed to be 15. That's my problem. I wrote it down wrong. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, 
5 to 7. So Paul is laying out his his defense for the resurrection. Of course, we know 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. And he's laying out the fact that, that Jesus was seen by the twelve, by the five hundred, and by other people as well. And then we just read here that he was seen of many over 40 days period of time. Now, I find it interesting as I was telling my dad this morning that in this chapter it talks about the 40 days in summary. It just says that he was with the disciples for 40 days continuing to teach them. But it doesn't detail what he said. Now perhaps he was just basically reviewing the things that he had already said because we're a forgetful people. If you read Deuteronomy you know that it's largely a review of everything that Moses had told them before. Moses was getting ready to die, and he knew it, and so he reviewed everything with them again, basically. So it's very possible that that is what was happening at this time. But as we as we see this passage, we just look at the fact that God is making sure that we know that there is documented proof that Jesus rose from the dead. And even uh, secular historians like Josephus acknowledge um, Jesus' life and death and that he was an actual person. So we're not talking about a fairy tale. We're talking about a real person who really impacted society. Now today, people are caught up in saying that it's the common era or before the common era because they don't want to acknowledge Jesus. But our very calendar speaks to to the change that Jesus made in society because we have before Christ, B.C., and after Christ, Auto Domini, the year of our Lord. That is how our calendar is organized. And so that just shows the impact that Jesus had on history. He changed it. just want to share this story. But from F.B. Meyer, he says, There are two ways of traveling on the continent. In the first, you do everything for yourself. You obtain your ticket, look after your luggage, you get your seat in the carriage, ask at least three porters whether you are right, and if you have an imperfect knowledge of the language, you have perpetually an uneasy sense that perhaps you are wrong. There is another method of foreign travel. You employ a tourist agency which obtains your tickets, sees to your comfort, gives you precise direction, provides you when necessary with a conductor, and at every turn, terminus, waits to greet you. And in this way, we have an apt illustration of the easier way of traveling to heaven. Be at rest in the indwelling and inworking of the Holy Spirit. Only see that He is not grieved, and He will see.
to all else. In the years since 2009, when I fully surrendered my life to ministry, I have seen the Holy Spirit lead and guide me in ways that I knew not. I often would be in despair, not knowing where my provision was going to come from, and then God would send it in a miraculous and unexpected way. And I would be chastised and know that despite my complaining, despite my imperfection, God was good. So we have two choices of how to live our lives. We can live our lives by ourselves or we can wait for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was saying here. He said to the disciples, wait for the Spirit which will come upon you not many days hence. Now, of course, it's interesting that he says those words because he says in Revelation, surely I am coming quickly. And yet his economy of time is not our economy of time because he wrote that 2,000 years ago. Does it mean he's wrong? No. For Peter says, the Lord is not flat concerning his promise, but that he is patient to usward, not willing that any should die, but that all should come to repentance. Now, of course, we know that not everybody will come to repentance, but he wants repentance for every individual. And he knows who's going to come to him, and he's waiting for that last person to come to him before he chooses to come back. Right now we're in a day of grace where we can accept him, where we can live an abundant life if we but trust him. We don't know how long we have until that day of grace will be over. But I implore you to trust him for salvation until it is, until, I mean now, while you have the chance. Because even if you have 40 or 50 years, wouldn't you rather spend them serving him than serving yourself? Because you have to serve somebody. We are made to serve somebody. The choice isn't whether we will serve someone, the choice is who will we serve? Will it be the devil or will it be the Lord? That's the choice we all have to make. Alright, so, that is a great dovetail to my next point, because Jesus, in verses 6 to 9, will outline the fact that time is not in our hands, it's in the Father's hands. Acts 1, 6 to 9 says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, well, they behold, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So he told them to wait for the promise of 
his spirit, his Holy Spirit, and then a few verses later, they said, Will you therefore at this time restore the kingdom again to Israel? You know, Israel is God's chosen people from the book of Genesis onward. God made a great people from Abraham. And he used Jacob, Abraham's ancestor, and changed his name to Israel. And out of that came a great people. And God said, as it was mentioned in the breaking of bread today, that I chose you not because you were a great people, not because you were a righteous people, but because of my mercy. And no matter how many times Israel turned their backs on God, He always showed mercy to them. And the disciples, I'm sure, when Jesus came and declared Himself to be a king and was talking about being the Son of God, they thought that He was going to come and remove them from the physical oppression of the Romans. So I've said that that's why Judas betrayed him because it wasn't turning out the way Judas expected. Because Jesus didn't come at that time with a sword and start mowing people down. And he didn't walk away in the garden like he had so many other times. He let them bind him over and arrest him and kill him. So after he rose again and he's getting ready to go to heaven, they're like, now will you do it? Now will you restore Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. I remember my dad telling me about a book that came out when I was a kid called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Again in 1988. There was a lot of people who said that Y2K would be the end of the world and that Jesus would come back then. We're 18 years on the other side of that and he still has chosen to restrain his hand. Now it could be today, but I I will never give you a definitive date when Jesus is coming again because I don't know. Even Jesus as hard as it is to believe, alluded to the fact in another passage that he didn't know. Only the Father in Heaven knows. Now I think it's probably in the similar way that, that Jesus doesn't remember our sins. He has the capacity to remember our sins, but he chooses not to. Do you ever think about the fact that the God who never forgot a promise never failed to fulfill a promise to us that He made to us. It's the same God that says your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What a challenge to each of us to be that to other people, to not remember their iniquities and hold them against them. Or to love others the way Christ has loved us. And he, Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're going to start in their hometown. And then they're going to expand to Judea. And then to Samaria. And on to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Jesus used persecution to scatter them and to grow his word. And then he, when he had spoken these things, behold, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. What a marvel that must have been to see him rise up and go into heaven. Now, he could have come down the same way, but he didn't. He came down as a baby. And he lived among us for 33 years. And then he ascended into heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of God for us today. What an amazing, amazing truth that is. And we can look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2. Someone has that if they can read it for us. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you will know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul is writing here because some of the people had stopped working and were kind of walking around being busybodies. Because they didn't have anything to occupy their time. Also, to the Thessalonians, you write, if a man does not work, neither shall he eat. So he's saying, go back to your occupations, go back to your vocations, work hard, know that Jesus is coming, but don't worry about when. Just know that it's going to happen and be ready for it to happen. You know, some people say that they don't believe in the imminent return of Christ. They they take other approaches, but and some people say it's the easy way out. That we're just hanging on with our heads down, waiting for the coming of the Lord. And surely that could be someone's personal way of doing things, but to me... The imminent return of Christ simply means that I need to work harder. That I need to share with more people. That I need to have more zeal. That I need to have more enthusiasm. Because Paul said, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. The terror of God is that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. The terror of God is, without Christ, you will fall into the hands of an angry God. Because there's nothing in you that's worthy of not facing an angry God. The Bible says that we will be saved from wrath through Him, Jesus Christ. So you want to not face an angry God? Face Him now. Confess your sins and you will instead find the best defense attorney you've ever encountered who will plead 
his own blood for you. How many defense attorneys do you know that will not only defend you in court, but will pay the penalty for your crime? There is but one, and his name is Jesus. A life insurance leaflet contains the following. A father and a girl of ten years, both good swimmers, entered the waters of the Atlantic at a New Jersey seashore resort a few summers ago. When some distance from shore, they became separated, and the father realized they were being carried out to sea by the tide. He called out to his daughter, Mary, I am going to shore for help. If you get tired, turn on your back. You can float all day on your back. I'll come back for you. Before long, many surgeons and boats were scurrying over the face of the water, hunting for one small girl, while hundreds of people to whom the news had spread waited anxiously on shore. It was four hours before they found her, far from the land. She was calmly floating on her back, not at all frightened. Cheers and tears of joy and relief greeted the rescuers with their precious burden as they came to land. The child took it calmly. She said, He said he would come for me and that I could float all day, so I swam and floated because I knew he would come. May such faith in our Heavenly Father sustain us in those hours when we must swim and float and wait. The times that Jesus, or the times that God has ordained are not in our hands. They're a different economy of time than we would ever think. And I think this applies to why I'm in source on earth as well. I know I've been in different waiting periods. There are some waiting periods that I'm still in. But I know that God's timing is good. It took me five years to get the job that I have now. Five years of uh, rejection letters, of crying out to God for employment and weeping when jobs didn't materialize. But God has placed me in a place at the Potter's House Christian School with a job that is above and beyond all that I could ever ask or think as far as my ability to do it and the fulfillment that I feel when I go to work each day. God knew what he was doing. And when the time was right, he opened that door. And I have gladly gone through it. And I'm so thankful for the community that I'm a part of there. Um, my coworkers are truly like family, and I thank God for them every day. But it's just an example of how God's timing is not our timing, but His timing is good. And I'm so thankful for that. All right, so wrapping up, our third thing that I want to um, leave you with is the disciples get a reminder and a challenge. 
And this is for us all. Now, of course, Jesus had said to the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you that where I am, you may be also. John 14, 1-3. He made that promise to the disciples and yet they need reassurance. So in verses 12 to 14, well, in verses, no, in verses, let's see, where am I at? Um, in verses 10 to 14, we read, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So they had a long walk back to Jerusalem. And when they would come in, they went and stood in the upper room where abode Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Elvius, and Simon the and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus with his brethren. It's interesting, isn't it, that they walked back to Jerusalem the Sabbath day's journey, so it was a long walk. But he said, go to Jerusalem. He said, stay in Jerusalem. And so that's what they did. And then, these men who told them, why can you get into heaven? The same Jesus shall still come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So do I believe in the literal return of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Because the Bible says he's coming in the same manner as we have seen him go. And when he comes in the clouds, I will see him and I will be caught up together with him. And when he comes again for his final and second coming, I will be with him. I will be riding with him. As he comes back to earth, and that time he will bring a sword. And by the word of his mouth, he will destroy evil and restore perfect goodness to the world. Paul says that even the creation itself groans for the return of Jesus. We see that the disciples are all here. It shows a list. It lists Bartholomew. It's one of the few places where it lists Bartholomew. Most think that Bartholomew and Nathaniel were the same person. And then Judas, the brother of James, of course, was Thaddeus. 
but all these disciples are in the upper room, and what does it say they do? Does it say they wring their hands with worry? Does it say they fought with one another? Because if I was stuck in a room with all those people, it might be easy to start fighting, but it says they all continued in one accord with prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. And we know at least two of them were James, who wrote the book of James, and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. So all these people, and as we read later in the book of Acts, we'll see that there was 120 people that Peter is going to to address when we get into next time. But as we see this, we can be reassured once again that Jesus is coming again. That we can have hope. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. They saw him overcome the world. They saw him alive when he was dead again. As we said last time, he ate fish. He ate honeycomb. He said, a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood like you see me have. He's coming again and we will see him. As Fanny Crosby said, I shall know him. I shall know him. By the prince of the nail in his hand. If we could look very quickly at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, if someone could find that and read it to us, um, that would be great, very quickly. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall. I think this is such an encouragement because I've heard some people say that we won't necessarily recognize each other in heaven. But I don't think Paul would tell us to encourage one another with those words if we weren't going to. I know relationships will be different in heaven. Jesus says there's no marrying or giving in marriage. But I believe that when I get to heaven, I'll be able to Hug my grandfather who I've never met. See my grandma who's been gone for several years. 
see my brother John, who died way too young at three months of age, and to see the four babies that I never met that my mom carried in her womb. And who knows how many other children we'll meet up there who were killed through the heinousness of abortion. I remember the words of David when his son died. He will not come back to me. But I shall go to him. I take great comfort in that. As we close, I just want to leave this, leave you with this. Christ has ended to confirm, to, for three specific reasons. According to G.S. Ballas, he says Christ ascended to confirm the prophecies. One, to commence his, men, his mediatorial work in heaven. He is interceding for us with groanings that cannot be uttered right now. He ascended to send the Holy Ghost, which he has done. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise because I believed on Jesus. And so can you be. And thirdly, he ascended to prepare a place for his prepared people. So my question to you is, will you be ready when he comes? Whether it's today, whether it's a year from now, whether it's ten years from now. And even if he doesn't come for a while... He could call you home at any point. I also the absence from the body is present with the Lord. Will you be present with Him as a saint or will you be present with Him in condemnation? When He says, Depart from me into everlasting torment because I never knew you. That's the question we all have to ask. And I hope that you can answer in the affirmative that I am His. And he is mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for its continuing message beyond the gospel. We thank you for giving us many infallible proofs to your resurrection. We thank you that we live with that resurrection power today. And we pray that you would bless each of these individuals here present. That they would love and honor you this week. And all the days to come. Now they would know that you have a wonderful plan for their life if they but trust you. And that uh, you know the end from the beginning. We praise you for this beautiful day and we ask that you would bless the remainder of it help us to continue to honor you in all we do and say. Bless the fellowship that will occur after the service. And go with us as we go our separate ways. I ask this in the precious name of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.